Okay, hi everyone and welcome to the Active Dog podcast. I'm Emily from online Active Dog retail store Canine Trail Time and you're listening to episode seven of the Active Dog podcast. Today we are talking active dogs and weight management and we have got Caroline, the slim pet vet here with us to talk all things um, weight management and slim pet. Hi Caroline, welcome along. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, Caroline Taylor is my name, but I am also known as Dr. Caroline. Uh, it never seemed right, Dr. Taylor. We could it, it happened a few years ago that vets could suddenly become doctors. So overnight, you know, not when I did my veterinary degree, but many years later, I suddenly was allowed to be a doctor. So I was like, okay, then. Um, just when doctors and specialists and you know experts and, and, and not uh, uh, considered uh, the best thing anymore but yeah so I'm now Dr Caroline the slim pet vet. And um, we'll talk at the end about your um, your Facebook group which is um, how you you sort of help people but tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to specialize in this. So yeah I'm um, from a Pretty ordinary background, uh, not far away from you in uh, lovely uh, Cheltenham. And um, I became a vet about 20 years ago. Uh, and I did a mixed practice, uh, a lot of some work with horses. And um, through one reason or another, different, you know, stress management, on calls and, and all of this, I actually then um, has, has spent the last 12 or 15 years really in in small animal practice um just working with cats and dogs and small furries in first opinion practice and yeah over that time I did uh um, a bit of a specialism within uh small animal medicine and uh there's certificates and diplomas and all this you can do within um the veterinary profession uh so I did a certificate and if anything it made me realize that I don't want to be a specialist in a referral hospital but more my um uh, forte is in dealing with uh owners of uh within first opinion practice and that's what I love doing creating those relationships and um seeing what a, a difference we can make but so it, it's sort of from that background and seeing, you know, for the last 20 years, the difference in the number of dogs that we see walking through the doors, walking through the clinic, that are, obviously we see, you know, all extremes, um, you know, the obese dogs, but unfortunately now 60, what 70%, I heard today, new stats, 70% of dogs are now over their ideal weight. Wow. 70% of dogs in the UK. And, you know, it's it's funny because people sort of think, oh, well, yeah, my dog's a bit chubby, but I wouldn't let them get that big, you know, when they see another dog. But it's like, well, hang on a minute. What what is surely you should keep your dog as healthy as it can possibly be. Um, And, you know, it's it's that whole, you know, scale of, uh, you know, we have uh, body condition score charts in, in animals as opposed to BMI um, yeah. charts. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the dog can't necessarily choose what size it is. We make that choice for the dog and we choose what food and what treats and what exercise and what lifestyle they have. Yeah. And so it's our responsibility, just like we wouldn't let our dog suffer from being too thin, um, we should also consider 
um, overweight dogs in, in that same, we, we should, and I think because it's sort of seen, seen as cute or cuddly, um, having a dog that's um, over its ideal weight, unfortunately what we see out there you know you see it in facebook groups time and time again oh the vet said my dog was fat you know what do you think and so we're asking a population of animal owners of which 70 percent of those animals or 60 or 70 percent are over their ideal weight so it's not necessarily you know the best source of information and the real difference we know now i mean studies were done about 15 years ago that showed um, it's not just that an overweight dog will cost you more, it will suffer from earlier signs of osteoarthritis, diabetes, heart disease. It's that they live less long. Yeah. Two, two years less of their life they will live. So it's, it's not that we just want to be mean, it's that it makes a massive difference to not only how they go into old age, but how well they live that old age, older age. And, and, and the, the things that, that I actually want to make a difference of, of, yes, prevention is better than cure, but much better if we can sort of tackle that um, earlier on. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to make a difference to do, what, what could, could I do if, you know, obviously, you know, there's lots of things that, you know, food companies and, and, and things will do to, to highlight the importance of really good nutrition. But unfortunately, you know, the dogs live in the same environment we do. And often it's due to uh, things outside of our control. They, you know, COVID, unfortunately, had a massive impact on the number of dogs that gained weight. Yeah. Because they were not doing the same exercise as they would normally do. They could only go out once a day. You could only exercise them, what was it, for half an hour. And those doing those things for two or three months that we had to do became a habit didn't it and it became then those dogs didn't want to go out and they didn't want to see other dogs so you, you must see it get they're anxious and then all those other different reasons sort of rear their ugly head and and so yeah it's it's, it's trying to sort of um take away the blame really and, and give people solutions that are going to make a difference so on the subject of activity, because you, you mentioned sort of a lack of activity in uh, lockdown, and obviously it's one of the things that I am really passionate about. I mean, my, the strap line for, for canine trail time is active dogs are happy dogs. How important do you think um, activity is in that sort of whole um, weight management process as, as opposed to food? How important is the activity? Well, it's, it's really interesting. So, so just like for us, you know, if we concentrate just on the running or the walking or the activity and don't pay any attention to the nutrition, it's going to be very hard for us to lose weight. So yeah. It is really important the nutrition aspect. Um, and I've got a lot more information about, you know, the types of food and, you know, try and eat, you know, the amount of fat levels and things we need within a dog's diet. But activity is massively important, not so much for the amount of calories burned, because dogs are really, really efficient at walking, particularly, but also really, really efficient at running. They, you know, they will use much, much lower calorie levels than we will running the same distance, whether that's because of their, they're using 
a lot of elastic recoil within their bodies rather than the muscular effort to run because they're four-legged rather than two-legged. Um, um, and they're really highly efficient at running. But what is that we know from the human side of things, it's that strength building and that the, the making you feel better about running. And that is exactly the same for dogs and activity. Um, I'm sure you've heard of canine arthritis management and there's been some really interesting talks about how exercise and exercise therapy and how exercise in itself can have a painkiller action or be anti-inflammatory and release dogs have that same, uh, you know, that runner's high that we get after doing physical activity they have the same hormones that are circulating through their body through, through activity. Um, so it can be really important. And, and also, you know, dogs are designed to go out and about and be, you know, moments of active activity and then times of sort of sniffing and, and but actually being mo mo mobile a lot of the time, scavenging for food, that's, that's what's in there. And actually using that motivation for, to help with their activity can be really, really useful. Um, yeah, I mean, not only the exercise and the calorie burn, but actually the brain energy and, and that enrichment that it provides, you know, going to new places. Because um, one of the questions that comes up a lot in in the the canny cross groups is, um, you know, do I need to start feeding my dog more because I'm I'm canny crossing? And immediately it's it's like, no, no, you don't need to feed your dog more. Please don't feed your dog more, um, because I think people struggle with the concept of of a dog, you know, not needing any extra if you have actually increased their activity level. But like you said, they are highly efficient, um, and so they don't tend to need it. Not unless you're doing sort of silly distances um. yeah it's silly distances or equally you know in you know i mean some of the amount of calories that say huskies and and working dogs and trail dogs will do in sub-zero conditions where it's the conditions that are the huge strain and the mileage yeah. that these dogs are doing um, and that's where you know some of these really high um, energy high fat often working dog breeds but very often your average pet who's doing canny cross at the weekends or a couple of times a week will be absolutely fine on a normal adult maintenance diet and not need any you know working dog food because people often feed to the um it's a bit like you know buying a breed that you want you buy a dog for the lifestyle you want rather than the lifestyle you have yeah <laughs> you know, so you get a spring spaniel or an Labrador. oh yeah i want to be really active but actually you know might go out with a dog walker for half an hour you know and then it's more like 20 minutes around the block you know in the week and and then you know you really want the the kids to be active but most of the time you know they're playing on the xbox and you know you're you the the so again it's a bit like you, you're feeding or you're choosing your nutrition based on the dog or the activity lifestyle that you want not necessarily on the activity level that your dog is doing um and you know high levels of activity are three hours plus you know, yeah on yeah. active you know you know so you know, anything under an hour a day is very much, you know, low levels of exercise, really. And 
you know, it's difficult, but, you know, that minefield of food, you know, how much to feed, you know, a, a lot of the time the people I work with, well, why is my dog overweight? I'm feeding it exactly what it says on the label. But, you know, if your dog is overweight, it, it you know, neutering, you know, will reduce the amount your dog needs by up to 20, 25%. Yeah. So, you know, that amount on the label that it's saying, you need to reduce that by about 20, 25%. Just because your dog is neutered, Um, so it's and then obviously you know age, you know lifestyle, you know we all see it, don't we? Different breeds, different dogs of the same litter can be completely different characters. There'll be the dog, the doorbell goes, you know, might lift its head up and then go back to sleep in its bed. The other dog, you know, and it's breed related a lot of the time. You know, they're just on the go all the time whether it's German Shepherds of Weimarana say and you know someone knocks at the door and it's like you know all hell has broken loose for the next you know 20 minutes they're pacing around the house and you know on the go all the time um you know it it, it will be it's it's breed related there are certain breeds that are going to be more prone to gaining weight um you know Labradors, Black Coat Retrievers, uh, beagles, pugs, um, you know, though, though they are unfortunately a lot more um, prone. We know there's, there's um, I think it, it does exist in humans. They've identified this gene called the POMC gene, and it's related to how your, um, how, how you uh, feel when you've had enough to eat. Um, and it's associated with leptin signaling and all of this within the brain. Um, and I think it's about 0.01% of people that have this, and there's, there's probably another 100 genes in, implicated in human um, obesity and, and being overweight, but we know that Labradors, um, about 25% of those will have this error in this POMC gene, and, and it's more like 40 or 50% of Labradors who are within a breeding program for the guide dogs, wow. um, so That's they literally... Cool, yeah you know they they literally are hungry all the time because their their switch in their brain that tells them they're full doesn't work yeah. and this is probably why we've chosen them to be guide dogs because they always want to work for food they always are yeah. willing to do that training because oh there might be some food in it you know that it, we've selected for that trait yeah um so it's it's a, but understanding that 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 might well be why if you do have um black coat retrievers have this really commonly as well if you do have that type of dog actually allowing them to do scavenging behavior as part because that is what they're geared up for that's what they really want to do dogs are contra freeloaders i'm throwing everything out there today um so (laughs) they'll 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 want to work that's they don't want their food just presented them in a dish they're quite happy to have that thank you very much but they they actually they get much more satisfaction about that working for their food, you know, than so, they would just being being given it. Is that something that you would recommend as an activity? Because I was going to sort of ask you what activities you would sort of suggest as best activities for overweight dogs, and if there's any that we should avoid if we've got an overweight dog. Um, well. It's really important that you do have a thorough assessment with um, uh, your veterinary surgeon or your veterinary physio or even a veterinary nurse to also check for any underlying disease. Sometimes they'll recommend blood tests. 
Sometimes it's just to screen them for any signs of injury or pain. Uh, because if you're, it, it's very, very difficult to diagnose pain in a dog because and they, they will hide that. Um, and so fast activities, ball throwing, you know, those sorts of things can be really tricky. Um, but what I do really like is um, in terms of the, the canny cross and, and how accessible it is in terms of canny trek as yeah. well yeah. being able to alter that pace without having to you know yank them on the neck or or uh, you know having a harness designed for that general movement rather than having to um, forcibly walk them and actually looking at their body language and seeing how they're coping gradually building things up um, that can work really really well um, and it's more that fast-paced throwing the ball the adrenaline will be there so they'll perhaps keep going for a lot longer than they really should because yeah. it's exciting and it's really fun but actually those games where you play at a lower pace the hide and seek um you know i i do a lot of people will do you know running um uh, for fun and do you know the park runs um every week but Often running in a straight line. I think Canny Cross is slightly different because it's often very different terrain and it's not just in a straight line and it's got something for the dog and something for the owner as well. Whereas if you're just doing, you know, your 5K or 10K running with your dog, I remember having um, someone um, visit who had a, a very fit um, uh, Springer Spaniel who came in um, and had had a, a strain of his cruciate ligament. So it, it, it wasn't at the stage where surgery was required, but it was he was really, really shocked when I said, you know, you're not going to be running with your dog for the next, you know, two or three months at least. And he was like, oh, you know, it, it was something that he, that's what they did together. Yeah. You know, so sometimes those more... Um, the activities so scent work can be brilliant free work is really really good um and those lower activities um to but but also not necessarily some a, a lot of people will perhaps hold back from those that faster work it's not always the faster work you need to worry about just not the the breaking when with ball throwing yeah. it's you know trotting can actually be a really good conditioning exercise and just doing it for you know a minute and then having a break and then doing some walking and then you know trotting again for them and doing it sort of intervals and to to strengthen them or even having the option you know of um do you recommend warm-ups and cool downs and those sorts of things that, Always, that can yeah. be yeah. really a really you know a dog that actually and, and picking you know if they're an older dog and they have got the start of some arthritis um actually not walking them first thing in the morning just letting them you know come around and, and yeah. get a, move around comfortably and then taking them for a mid-morning walk that can actually be a really a much better time um once their joints are warmed up doing you know five minutes of warm-up um some of the strength exercises you can do is is best when you actually incorporate it onto their their routine um walks um, so doing the sit to stands as your, you know, do even just five or 10 of those, you know, each day at different times, 
that can be a really good uh, method to help strengthen up the back legs um, or you know walking up and down hills walking through long grass can be a really good way of strengthening up these not just the the, the muscles of the limbs but their support muscles and their core muscles just like us if we started on a fitness regime it's all about the core strength that we need to, yeah. to get stronger not just about those muscles for distance um so so you're having, right. having a variety your recommendation would be to sort of start off, you know, slowly. If you've got a dog that's overweight and you want to get them more active again, sort of start off with the the more sedentary activities and then, you know, build up to 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 more active things. You know, I I one I, of the best things to do is to think about, you know, whatever amount of you know, I I'm very much early on in in my program, I don't necessarily say is prescriptive this is the number of minutes you need to do look what you're doing now with your dog and increase on that so do a little bit more each day or each week but not as much as you're going to do the next week you know so gradually increase it very much um uh, as we would with a you know couch to 5k program we would start off slowly uh, let me just um, pause there for a minute i'm just going to pop back in a second Okay, so we were talking about um, just building up slowly and a couch to 5k is, um, is something that I always recommend to people that are starting out canny cross anyway. So it's good to hear that that is something that you would recommend. Um, so how do you how do you tell, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that up to 70 percent of dogs are now overweight. So obviously there's something that's not quite clicking um, with with people. Um, how do you tell if your dog's overweight? So we, we do have the ability to do all sorts of scans and things like this, but this will be very much at the specialist level. Something that you can do today would be to have a feel of your dog's ribs. And if you can feel them like you can, if you're feeling your knuckles with a flat hand, then you can feel a little bit of tissue over the ribs, but you can feel the ribs reasonably well, then um, that's just about right, the ideal body condition. Um, if you now turn your hand over, so you're feeling the palm of your hand, but at the base of your fingers, you can feel there's like those, we've got some um, pads over there. So you can just about feel your fingers underneath those fat pads as you're on your hand. So if you can feel your dog's ribs like that, but you sort of have to dig in a little bit, that's one of the easiest ways to tell your dog is perhaps carrying a little bit more weight over its body. The ribs is one area where we look, and, and this is the sort of step one or um looking at the body condition score of your pet um but pretty much every person within the veterinary practice or you know uh, physiotherapists as well will be able to tell you what the body condition score of your pet is there's charts online yeah. um they're often quite stylized so it's quite difficult to sort of you know see in real dogs particularly if you've got a long-haired dog whether what actual body condition score they are uh, so another way to, way to look is looking at the abdominal tuck and if they've got a waist behind their ribs. All dogs should not go 
front to back with no waist. They, they should go in a little bit just behind ribs. More so in, in some dogs like boxers, they'll have a much more defined um, uh, waist. And, and that's where, you know, it can be quite difficult with uh, some breeds like pugs or French bulldogs. They'll actually lose that waist a bit later on because they've got a much bigger chest um, in general. So it can be later on, you know, more like, you know, seven or eight out of nine body condition score that you're actually even noticing that they put on a little bit of weight. Uh, but yeah, anything over, you know, seven out of nine body condition score um, can significantly impact on their, uh, how long they live and all, all the other disease conditions as well. So if somebody thinks, oh, okay, my dog is a little bit overweight, um, what would be your, your sort of next step? How would they go about sort of dealing with that? Because it's, it's often quite difficult to accept sometimes that, you know, you, you've let your pet get overweight. Um, and I know it's quite difficult. Um, sometimes the responses that, that vets get is, is sort of quite hostile from, from owners. If you say that they're yeah. sort of overweight, but yeah. Being more positive about it, what can you do to to um, to help with that? So, so first of all, I, I probably one of the first steps would be to do a food diary just to actually have a look what and, and bearing in mind that really only about ten percent of their total intake should be extras or treats or or other other. Yeah. Um, and actually, just sometimes adjusting those and not, you know, and when I'm saying treats, you know that is you know the denti sticks there's a reason why they make the denti sticks a certain size and a certain shape and that's because they're usually that is the total treat allowance for that dog so if you're going oh it says you can feed two a day yeah that would be their total amount of treats nothing else other than their food their their general food picking a food sometimes changing the food um, to a lower calorie option or redu just reducing the amount they're giving normally by you know between 10 and 15 percent because the trouble is that often it could you can be really successful in you know stopping your dog gaining any weight if they've been gaining weight if they are overweight they have often been having more than they need for many many months many many years sometimes and to stop that, you, yes, you need to reduce how much food they're taking in. But more than that, you, you don't just need to get them into energy balance. You actually need to get them into an energy deficit. Yeah. And that's often what people don't quite, because, you know, when you're feeding a standard food, you often have to feed them very much smaller amounts than they were used to having. Um, and because the, that food itself is not designed for feeding at those smaller amounts it has less um, fiber um, you, you and you find that the protein level that you're then giving and this is where particularly if your dog is on the higher end anything over seven out of nine on the body condition school chart this is where the prescription foods will really come into their own because even when you're feeding at lower amounts you're still going to be providing all the micronutrients and their um uh, vitamins and minerals and and obviously protein levels as well um and they're they are designed to help fill your dog up um but yeah i i understand that often a diet change is not necessarily the thing to do first yeah. because actually it's 
looking at what you're feeling now and can you alter those can we you know yes certainly any movement you know are you using enrichment every day for your dog or are you just giving the food in a bowl every single day even just once or twice a week not feeding your dog out of a bowl but actually scatter feeding or making them doing tricks or you know playing hide and seek in the house and then and, and giving the food that way i know trainers um who will not feed their growing dogs from a bowl for the first year of their life because they want to use that food every opportunity they've got for training yeah um so they're not starving their dog but they're just giving the food it, it, it's mostly it's convenience what we give food dogs food in a bowl for our convenience because it's easy and it's you know it, it saves time um but for them they don't necessarily want to finish their food within less than a minute if, if, you know yeah. that's that's two minutes a day of eating brilliant <laughs> if they're having two meals a day and they're finishing their food within a minute you know even just simple enrichment and actually homemade enrichment uh things that you can make can be can be really good um you know next time you get something delivered uh from that well-known online company just keep the box and keep the packaging paper as long as your dog isn't a shredder and just put the kibble in there or the the, the food in there or even chunks of wet food in there and that will keep your dog busy for you know five or ten minutes even after they finish the food they'll be looking and, and continuing to 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 find things you know egg boxes and it's it's all about you know keeping them sometimes dogs find it quite difficult with some of these enrichment toys that you buy or they get bored of them quite quickly so that's why it's quite useful having some of the homemade stuff because you can change it all the time you can keep it uh entertaining for them and this is all the kind of, of tips that you give in your programme, isn't it? So tell us a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you and how you can help. Yeah, so they can find me on that line now. Uh, they can find me in the Facebook group Slimline Canine. And that's a free group that I run just for sort of general tips. We do a body condition scoring uh, a post every month. And then if you want to get involved you know, and keep you accountable. There's the option to put in your dog's weight each and every month as well. Um, and then as well as that, I have the website and that's www.theslimpetvet.co.uk. And you can join there a community. It starts around £10 a month. And um, it covers, uh, at the moment I have a 12-week programme. So for £30, you could get everything you needed to slim your pet down and it's not just about what obviously we cover food and what what choice of food to feed but there's opportunity there you can ask questions on the forum or even book a call with me um, or one of my team to get personalized support each month as well um, so yeah that is um, at the moment until the end of this month until the end of April um, I do have uh, it's it's just um, launching now. Uh, I have a one month free option. So literally, you could have the first month free, pay twenty pounds, and then you'd have uh, a slimmer dog uh, in uh, three or four months. But obviously, if you do want to continue to be part of that community, because you know often it can take you know between four to six months, um, and, and it, that critical time between 
getting your dog actually slimmed down and at their ideal weight and maintaining that weight loss that can be um and and that's why that I've, I've left that open you know you can cancel any time but sometimes that extra support and that reminders of, of just keeping on top of things um dogs that are overweight unfortunately do have that tendency to be um uh, to be more likely to, to regain the weight or, or to be more likely to gain weight for the rest of their lives unfortunately um so that's why it's sort of considered you know a lifelong disease rather than something that is um you know that it's yes obviously food and exercise is a factor there's so many of the factors involved in it um and i think the sooner we move away from that sort of blame culture you know the better uh because there are things we can do that that can have um, and it's often simple things you know just adding an enrichment you know a couple of times a week doing a physio walk you know where you're incorporating some of the games and sit down or all these things those simple things that you you can do well it's it's not joining the gym that gets you to lose weight it's actually going to the gym you know isn't it yeah. you know each yeah. and every week taking the action <laughs> yeah. for a period of time that makes the difference um and 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 so often in practice that's what i was finding that it, it just you couldn't have that consistency so it's it's really fun being able to bring people together and and to see the difference that it can make you know uh, well, so. it's great to know that support is out there thank you so much for coming along to talk about it with us today thank um, you so much for having me it's been really lovely to be <laughs> um that's it for this episode i hope you've enjoyed it and we'll be back soon with another episode on the active dog podcast but until then remember active dogs are happy dogs thank you caroline absolutely oh it's very it's great to be a part of thank you